<laughs> no promises. Tony, welcome back for part two of our series of how how to do FI when you need FI in your life. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That was like a very I'm nervous on my first speed date thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there. Speed date? This would be my know. first speed date, I'll be honest. Okay, All right. well, there you go. Um so, so yeah. Why why come FI for you? <laughs> there you go. Anyway, this is uh I guess the second part of the first sort of section of the series that we're doing. So we're kind of doing like a journey to five series. So you're on part two. If you haven't listened to part one, you should go back to last week to hear John's motivations. Um, or don't. You yeah. Know, Listen whatever. to X speed, whatever you like. Yeah. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what kind of motivated me to start the pursuit of financial independence and real estate to get there specifically, and then maybe throw in some things too about just what I, people that I meet and kind of what they think. So yeah, that's, cool. that's sort of the plan. And then, you know, after this episode, this series of episodes, we're going to go through a few more, just kind of detailing the whole journey, start to pseudo finish yeah. a financial independence. Yeah. Past to present. Uh, all right. Well, Tony, thank you for the good intro. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of how you discovered the FI stuff or what does FI even really mean to you? Yeah. So financial independence. Um, I would say I discovered it because when I came out of university, I feel like I had a series of jobs that were okay, yet mm-hmm. unfulfilling. And I was just never really happy with work. My uncle actually said something once. He said, like, you get your first job and then you start looking for new jobs and you quit and you get a new job because you think it's going to be better. And then a couple months after you start that job, you probably start looking for other jobs because <laughs> you, you think it'll be better. Yeah. And then you go to the next job and then you just realize that that's life. And, jobs are jobs. Yeah, yeah. And then you stay at that one and then you retire. Um, but I was looking for ways out. I remember my first two jobs were in sales and I was actually, I was not bad at the jobs. I, I was performing, so I didn't have bosses down my throat really or anything. But Sounds good. every lunch break, I would just look up like random jobs that I could do that were not sales jobs. Huh. Um, I don't mind sales as a career path. I just don't really like someone else setting my goals and expectations, which was probably something I should have connected the dots towards towards more entrepreneurship early on. But um, but yeah, somebody else like setting my numbers, telling me what to hit, everything like that. That was not um, yeah. I don't like that part. That's setting. good info because I mean, you're in sales now. So I was like, yeah, this is but now it's really not that bad because there's nobody like over top my head saying, you know, this month you need to all oh, it's all my own goals. I don't have somebody like telling me to set forecasts and doing all kinds of different reports and whatever. Yeah, that's um, a great point. So then during one of my lunch breaks, I found my way back into my career that I like had trained for as a scientist. Mm-hmm. So I went back to work as a microbiologist, uh, quality, quality control in quality control for um, a pharmaceutical company. Okay. And then I was there for a while. And things were okay, but it was kind of a little bit more of like, a, I wouldn't say laid back, but just 
not as gr- grueling of a pace as sales. So that was enjoyable. But then I started to get a new level of frustrations with work that I didn't get with sales. So the nice thing about sales jobs is that you're almost like the rock stars of the company. Whenever you're performing, they just kind of let you do whatever you do as long as you're hitting your numbers. But then once I got out of the sales world, it was like having to interact with people that got so fired up about dumb shit that didn't even affect their life. Like (laughs) just stuff that I, I don't know. Everybody gets such strong opinions about things at work. And I, and it was just like, this is so dumb. Why are we arguing about like, can't we just get stuff done? Like, why do we have to have a meeting about the meeting about the meeting to plan the meeting and I just had like 500 meetings I always used to say that and I think I thought of this before he posted it so he stole his idea from me but Elon Musk posted the same thing I used to think that in every meeting room in a corporation you should have a clock on the wall and everybody signs in and the clock just ticks salary so you yeah, like the cost of the meeting yeah, you can yeah. see on the wall exactly how much money this meeting is costing the company. Yeah. Um, but between stuff like that, like just kind of people getting all heated, you know, I wasn't I wasn't really thrilled about having a boss. I wouldn't say I had like a terrible boss, but I definitely was unsatisfied with being bossed around, I guess. Is really yeah. the thing. It's a recurring theme, it seems. Yeah. So then I, um, you know, I, I eventually internally applied for a new job, much to the mm. chagrin of my uncle, I suppose. And then I, because uh, I figured, hey, I'll change roles within the company. It'll be a little bit more independent of a role. All my I, problems will be solved. Yeah. I was like, I won't really, you know, my boss will still, I'll still have a boss, but be a different boss and, I'll be the one with the expertise. So it'll be a little bit more of like, a, you know, asking me things rather than like commanding me to do stuff. I don't do well with commands. I don't do well with like, do this now. And then why should I do this? And because I said so, like, I don't not a big uh, fan of that, that life. So then I got the new job and I was resigned in my head. I actually oh. I was I interviewed for that job. And my friends and I were going to Hawaii for like a, a vacation. And I basically told myself if I at this time, I had my real estate license and I was working part time. And I was okay. like, if I don't get this new position at work, I am going to come back and quit with nothing, nothing other than my like part time license. I think okay. I had sold like three houses at the time. Okay, so you sold three houses. Yeah, and I was like, but I'll figure it out. You were married at this time? Uh, I don't think we... No, we weren't married yet. Living Um, together, though? Yeah, we were living together in our house hack. Um, Okay. So I guess we're a little bit ahead of the motivation. You're you're jumping ahead a little bit, yeah. But it all all ties together. And uh, and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to just, you know, I'll quit if I don't have this right thing. And... I ended up getting the role, so I stayed on. But that was that was probably outside of house hacking. That was where I really was thinking about it. And I was like, I need to just find a way to support myself totally on outside income. I think prior to that, it wasn't so much a totally financially independent 
thing. I actually didn't even know about the fire community at the time or anything. Um, there was some random guy that I actually met as a potential customer, as a, like a realtor. And he, I was just telling him about what I was doing. And he's like, oh, so you read the fire stuff. And I was like, what? you're talking about burning buildings down for insurance money? Like, what, <laughs> what, are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, no, financial independence retire early. I was like, oh, no, I never heard of that. Then he gave yeah. me some sites. He didn't end up being a customer, but whatever. Um, and I started researching it. And that's that was prior to that trip. And that's what really like motivated me to get after it a lot more. But prior to that, as you've kind of understood, I was really like just unhappy with working for someone else. It didn't yeah. really after different bosses and different types of jobs and everything, I realized that just wasn't really for me. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like somebody else's expectations being put over my head. I don't like having to do things that I don't agree with or don't want to do. So, you know, the work environment, not for me. Um, so what did that conversation look like with your now wife? You know, there was some first step you took, right? I don't know so if that's real estate actually, license or a house hack or what. Yeah. So the first step here, I was pretty unsatisfied with my job and my wife, actually, I was always looking for like things to do to just, how do I make money to quit? Like, what yeah. do I do? Do I, I was selling crap, like part-time on the side. I was selling this stupid, like medical product thing. All like right. Pursuit of happiness. All right. It kind of, yeah. It was like something for back pain, like some equipment. Um, and better than Herbalife, uh, so that's yeah, good. a few other things. And uh, my wife was just like, Hey, I found this podcast about real estate investing, you should listen to it. And at the time, Bigger Pockets had these like quick episodes, and I was listening to them, and one of them was just about house hacking. And it was like, Yeah, you can buy a a duplex you can live in half you'll save so much money and i was just thinking like wow that sounds like a cheat code i mean somebody else pays for my rent basically i don't even need a raise if i do that right so i kind of thought about that and mm -hmm. i remember i talked to my wife and i was like hey you know this is a really cool idea i think that we should you know buy the house and she was just my girlfriend at the time. We had been dating for like probably six yeah. years, living together for maybe yeah, common law marriage in some time. states. <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> um, and I and I was just like, look, we could either you know we have money to either get married or we could just buy this duplex and <laughs> set ourselves up. Pretty nice. Said anything not to get married. To you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I think and I think she's like, well, you know, let me think about that. I yeah. I don't you know, we'll see. And then I like a couple weeks had gone by and then she had thought about it. And to be honest, I never really had too much of the struggle that some people talk about, like getting your wife on board. Right. So she was totally very supportive fine with it. Yeah. yeah. And she was interested in it, too. Um, and that'll go into our next couple episodes as far as the first deal too but yeah the motivation there at the beginning was primarily like a dark energy motivation 
yeah. It was just like, I hate this and I want to get out. Yep. And that was at the beginning. I can say there was not really any pull. There was no like light energy. We can talk about that later in this series, like kind of how my motivations have changed during yeah, like too. the growth stage. But at the beginning, I will say that in the back of my head, I knew I needed to stay at my day job because I was so annoyed working for someone else that that's what was propelling me forward. Hmm. So in the back of my head, I was like, self, you know, I was self-aware enough to know that that's what was pushing me ahead. So I need to keep that. Until I'm in a situation where, because at the same time, the other part of this was after our first deal, I got my real estate license because the real estate agent that I worked with was like fine as a realtor, but he didn't really, he worked with investors, but he didn't do it himself. And I was like, he doesn't really provide me with any more value, I guess. So I was like, I can just go get my license and do this for myself, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And then just organically, I kept getting customers from bigger pockets or people that I talked to, whatever. Mm. It was never really intended to become a a full-time job or a part-time job, like even really. It was just I ran into a few people here and there. And then I was doing that on the side. And both of those jobs at the same time, because it became like two full-time jobs. That was a huge grind. That sucked. I would yeah. never do that stage again because I was selling like 20 houses a year uh, while also working my day job. My day job at the time, thankfully, was mostly like I wasn't in the lab anymore. I was just on a computer and technical writing and stuff. Um, so I could kind of step away from my desk as long as I was accomplishing my tasks. So it became a little bit easier, but I would never do that again. But I did that for like a couple years at the beginning before I quit and you you were fixing up a house hack then too oh yeah and yeah. being like the handyman for the other places so it was if you look at like a chart of my uh like i've been doing fitbit for probably since 2013 and so i have like my whole history of weight of my like mm. body weight charted and i am still unburying myself from the those, beginning from those years because yeah. if you look I, I was playing rugby before i like bought my first place i was i probably from the time i bought my first place to the middle or to the end of working all these all this crap at the same time i gained like 40 pounds oh wow that's a just lot. because i mean people don't know tony that's got to be i mean that's a lot <laughs> as a percentage you know you're not you're not like oh, six yeah. five two eighty no no and i yeah. just you know i think this is also this isn't the point of this whole conversation but this is also partly where my gripes with the whole hustle culture thing really come from i believe i hate hustle culture I think that there's like, like by hustle culture, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I mean, like all the people that talk about, you see them on Facebook or Instagram, like they text a picture of 3am on their phone. They're like up grinding. And then they're like, I'm on this grind. I'm doing this. Blah, blah, blah. And they like romanticize this. And it's even if you're in tech, if you're listening to this from tech, it's even like worse than that. From what I hear, like people with startups talk about how Uh, hard they work and like how much time they're spending and everything and like i definitely did that for a little bit and i think at the beginning when you're kind of bootstrapping 
the only thing you have is working hard and your work ethic so like it's important but you can't do that forever and it's no and it's not romantic to do that forever it's just stupid because everything else in your life totally suffers and it's like unless your life's purpose is that work or that job or that company it's like there's way more out there to enjoy in life than you know fixing a drain under the bathtub <laughs> like yeah, I, yeah. you know i was doing stuff like that at like seven like seven eight o'clock at night because i'd get home from work some tenant would have something stupid and have to go fix it and i guess i wouldn't trade it because that's how you learn but at the right. same time it's like i don't know if i would have it in me to do that at like I was in my 20s. I had a lot more energy. And then as my energy levels gone down, <laughs> getting fat from doing it too really, really is your energy. But uh, yeah. But anyway, so anyway, really okay. that, that motivation at the beginning all came from negative energy. Like just yeah. things saying, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But, what, but what you'll find is important. And we'll talk about kind of more during the growth parts where we talk about in this series. That'll only get you so far. And eventually you need something kind of pulling you ahead too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. That's really good. So how about now, you know, we talked about kind of your motivations, where you are in the uh, kind of life cycle. So where we just left off, you, uh, you were basically, I guess, double working, right? You had said, Hey, I'm going to Hawaii. Maybe I'll quit. Then boom, you're doing two jobs. And then I guess, how did that, um, you know, wh- what did you think from there? Okay. So now I'm Tony, I have these two jobs, right? I'm selling 20 houses a year. And I, by the way, I have this desk yeah. job that's paying me, you know, not like a six figure income, but a, a good income, I believe. And where, yeah, okay. An okay income. He shook his head. Listen, Very livable. Livable income. Yeah, for sure. Especially considering your dual income, no kids at this moment. And then, you know, kind of what, what was the thought from there? Okay, so I, I made it to here. Yeah. Am I FI? So at that point, I think we just, had two. Why not stocks? Why real estate from there? Right. So at that point, we had two duplexes. Okay. Uh, both that we got with kind of owner-occupant loans. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we go prior to that to kind of answer the why real estate and why not index investing funds, number one. I had no clue that index funds even really existed. All right, like, like I said, it took me a while after I kind of already started to even get to the whole financial independence community of like writing and stuff to read and everything like that. Um, so at the beginning, I was that wasn't even on my radar. I was contributing. Um, when I was in high school, my dad gave me this book called The Investor's Manifesto which is actually, it's a pretty good book just about kind of investing for the common person, okay. um, which is cool. And so I was kind of already, you know, my dad, uh, I think, saw some things that he should have done and tried to like teach them to me, um, yeah. which was really beneficial for me. And my mom was always pretty responsible with money. So she wasn't so much more like an active thing, but more of an example to follow. Mm-hmm. So I had already been contributing like every time I got a raise, I just took whatever that was and just made it my 401k contribution 
like added. So if I got like a three point three percent raise, I would just make, you know, yeah. I, I think I started at 10 because I read somewhere that you should contribute 10 percent. My yeah. company matched. I think my company matched six percent. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so yeah, might have been six percent. So I was contributing basically sixteen percent of my income, the four hundred one k, and then every year I would get a raise. I would just add that. So like, if I got three percent raise, it'd be nineteen percent. Um, but yeah, the motivation to get into real estate in general was very similar to yours. It was more just like expense reduction. Mm-hmm. And then I had just been looking at like, okay, if I make, you know, if I make two hundred dollars per unit in cash flow, you know, that was at the time that was pretty achievable. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit tighter in nicer areas now, but at the time it was pretty achievable. It's like I could just house hack and keep these rolling, and I'll be done in fifteen years. Twenty. And you were house hacking in the neighborhood you grew up in. Right. Yeah. Just for context for listeners. So, right. Right. You know, uh, you know, I mean, some things go lucky for you, right? It's just how it works. Like, yeah. For me, I, I think we were both lucky. We just stuffed money in 401k by accident, sort of just yep. happened, got a company match. And yeah, it just so happened you sort of grew up in an area where cash yeah. flow investing worked, which is great. Yep. So, and like this, this first house, the first duplex that I bought, actually, and we'll talk about that in the first deal type episode, but it's on the same street as my mom. So like it was the house that I kind of grew up in. So it was yeah. like she, that was part of my other motivation for getting my real estate license, because it was like my mom was the one who noticed the house that we were going to buy mm-hmm. first anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so That's I was cool. like, OK, we'll talk I, about that more. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it, that whole journey of that first deal is, you know, worth the, the dedicated episode. But yeah, it was just like, I'll save money. This is something that's really simple for me to wrap my head around. It's not complicated. It's like you buy houses, you factor in your expenses, you see how much they cash flow. I was like almost every other newbie that's out there. At the time, my lens was just cash flow. It was Mm -hmm. like, let me buy enough buildings to cash flow enough to quit my job, replace my income. And at the time, I figured, let's try to make $8,000 a month in cash flow. $8,000. Eight thousand dollars a month. That's like 40, 40 doors. I figured I could do that in like, like I said, like fifteen years or whatever. And that had been retiring at like forty for me at the time. So that sounded pretty cool. Yeah. Um. And yeah, yeah in it, fifteen years, retiring yeah. in fifteen years is. I mean, almost everybody listening, I think, would be like, yeah, that'd be. That sounds yeah. good. And it with eight thousand dollar income. Yeah. A month. From, yeah. That $8,000, I figured that'd cover, you know, and with, with real estate, the rents tend to go up with inflation. So I could count on, I could, in my head, I figured I could count on that because the rents will continue to go yeah. up. Roughly keep um, with inflation. Yeah. And, but like I said, like I was pretty much like every other newbie investor. The only thing I was thinking about was cash flow, really. Um, and but it did set me up if you buy a building that cash flows and you focus on that you're really going to get all the other benefits naturally anyway <laughs> uh, even yeah. if they're not top of mind uh but yeah so it was really just income savings and it was something that was easy to wrap my head around i was listening to the bigger pockets podcast a lot at the time mm-hmm. um so just from listening to 
you know, maybe 10 or 20 episodes and then buying a couple of their books and reading through those. It just, it wasn't complicated. And like, like you said, there were so many people that I met that were doing it that were like, not that they're not smart, but they're just not as like formally educated or anything. Well, just, um, I mean, they're not these like rocket scientist savants, right? Right. It's not like, oh my gosh, I'll never you wouldn't, be like that person. There was like this guy that I met at one of his houses and I, he was like, I remember this. I went with somebody and there uh, as an agent and this the seller was still there and he like grabbed all his tax bills. I don't know why he even did this. I think he was trying to dissuade us from lowballing him or something, but he grabbed his tax bills and he started waving them like this. I fear on the video and he's like, uh, basically like yeah and he's, he's like, like fanning yeah. the text bills out. yeah pretty much he had like 10 and and i and he's like you see this i got 10 of these right here so i'm not selling this for a dime less than i got listed because blah blah blah, blah, blah. he's going on but what i got from that when i left was like this dude was covered in like tito's dust and like athletic <laughs> shorts and he He's didn't have 10 a houses. job and he didn't have a job and he had like 10 houses and i was like i mean kudos to that guy like exactly he's got something going but i'm like but i think if that guy can do it <laughs> <laughs> then like yeah. i can probably figure it out i do and you think were right that, yeah part. what i think is funny though is that sometimes people uh people that are pretty smart are attracted to the idea of, of financial independence and real estate and stuff. But because they're pretty smart, they overthink it so much that they're not willing to pull the trigger. And that's why I've always said, like, you need to be smartly stupid when it comes <laughs> to like real estate, because you need to be smart enough to know about the risks and calculate for the risks and all those things, um, which, to be honest, you don't really need to be that smart to do. Um, but, but you need to be smart enough to do that, but you also need to be stupid enough to look at that and be like, yes, I understand the risks still going to pull the trigger. So you just need to be dumb enough to say like, okay, there are risks. I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. I don't don't even think that's dumb, but I agree with your point. And I think it ties back to, so I see this correlation, uh, at work with the people who get stressed out about things that aren't really that significant or material. And it kind of comes from this like straight A education culture of like everything must be precise and perfect versus, you know, look, you're, you're taking risk. Something is going to go wrong. And it's not how do we prevent anything from going wrong? It's like, what are we going to do when when something goes wrong? Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I totally agree with your point, though. Like, you know, no, that, a- that makes sense. Like they try to figure out every contingency plan. And it's and like can't. so yeah. many times you just find yourself you have to be good, like. I think that in some ways you have to prepare yourself to be kind of good in a, like good in a crisis, so to speak, Mm -hmm. like not really a true crisis, but just good. Like when problems come out, come up and they will come up, you can't freak out. You just have to like put your head down and grind through it till it's done. Um, But yeah, so really my motivations at the beginning were mostly kind of that dark energy. Like we were talking about, just like, I want to quit. I want to do this. I want to do the other thing. And then at the same time too, the only, I guess, early on pulling force would have been I uh, I would see people get like fired or people lose their job and stuff like that. 
And I always and to this day, I still think it's funny that banks and people and everyone think of like jobs as this secure thing. Oh, Whenever yeah. really working for yourself and having your own thing is far more secure than like working for the man. I've always thought that that it's always come up to me as hilarious because banks are always super picky about self-employment income. But it's like, bro, <laughs> you can't fire like no one can <laughs> fire me. No one can downsize me. No yeah. one can do anything. I don't know what actuary said I'm more risky, but if I have like five <laughs> years of production of self they're underwriters. I yeah. Hope. Not an actuary, unless uh, you're doing life insurance. <laughs> uh, well, wouldn't they still be an actuary type person? I don't know. I mean, like to, it's to not assess, important. Well, no, but to assess the risk that certain borrowers would, I thought underwriters just looked at like, they don't really do risk analysis. They just plug it into their crap, don't they? Yeah, I guess that, I guess that's true. I'm talking about the people at the beginning that said self-employed are more yeah. risky than employed, so you get like a minus four or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so like that was the other thing too. Is I was like, well, if I have my own thing, nobody can ever fire me. Nobody can ever really like, yeah, you know, take that away. I might be trading you know, quitting my 40 hour a week job for an 80 hour a week job, but still it's, it's all mine. I can scale up, you know, I can do whatever, but then you'll see people like, I don't know. I mean, I have plenty of friends or family or former coworkers or whatever who lost their job. And then it's like this mad scramble to figure out their life. Absolutely. And if you, if you do work yourself up to be high enough in a company, like, that's awesome. That's great. You make a lot of money. But the second the company fires you, it's like, good luck finding the similar job. And then good luck finding a lesser job, too. Because, like, nobody, if you were the CFO of a corporation, nobody wants to, like, hire you to be accounts payable clerk. Like, because yes. they know that you're not going to want that. But then also, how many CFO positions are there? This yep. was similar conversation to whenever in grad school, it was like, should I go do my PhD? And it was like, well, huh. you know, I don't really want to be a professor anymore. So then it's like, all right, well, maybe I'll just do it and get my job in science as like, a, you know, a lab yeah. person at a company, like a pharma company or whatever. And then you start looking at like, well, how many PhD positions are there in these companies? It's like not enough, not really that many. Yeah. So then what can you do? You can go be like a lab tech at a college, like manage the lab as a postdoc PhD for a whopping like $56,000 yeah. a year for in exchange for the 10 years of your life that you spent in school. So yeah, kind of added security too is like a big, was a big motivator just after seeing people get stuck with like, I lost my job, which was totally out of my control. Yeah, the so, best analogy I've heard for this is you don't want to be a turkey, right? Every turkey's like, oh, I live on this farm. They feed me every day. It's great. He <laughs> doesn't know about Thanksgiving, right? The farmer always knows about Thanksgiving and boom, Thanksgiving shows up. And like, that, that's the thing, right? In this analogy, the company is the farmer and you need to make sure you're not a turkey, right? This, yeah. this is from uh, Anti-Fragile. So, I also think it's funny too, similar motivation here everybody always talks about i'm underpaid 
And it's like, yes, that's the nature of capitalism. Like you're always going to be paid less than the value that you generate. Because yeah. <laughs> if you generate if you generate less value than you're paid, you're going to get fired yeah. because there's no reason to have you. The company is just then the, they'll, tri- you'll, they'll trim the fat and you're the fat. And it's yes. like, um, you know, so that's kind of a big thing, too. Like you always want to be, I don't know, having something set up, even if it's just one or two properties or maybe you have like $250,000 in index funds. If you have the shit hits the fan experience, you still have something to fall back on that you're not like 100%, screwed. Uh, so. Yeah. You're like, all right, well, I got whatever month, number of months that is to figure my life out, right? 10, 20. I don't know what it depends on how much you spend. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, I think that was a lot for everybody to digest. Yeah. So, all right. So that's uh, part two of this series where we're kind of talking about the journey to FI real estate. So we talked about my story. We just finished up your story. So the next episodes, I think we're going to talk about some of those details of those first deals. So it'll be your duplex uh, in the in the neighborhood that you grew up in, as identified by your mother. It sounds like. Yeah, same for you. Like your first deal as well. Yeah. Which All was right. also we'll a house that. hack. And then cool. after that, in this series, you'll have kind of like the next substantial step after that. Just mm-hmm. giving everybody a preview of what to expect, a and we'll run down. We'll, We'll kind of uh, go over what both of us did after that first deal. And then after that, we'll talk about like how we're growing um, towards like being at scale enough to feel comfortable quitting our job. So kind of that growth stage after the first like kind of baby steps type things. And then um, after that in the series, we'll do like preparing for financial independence, which is kind of the like okay we're we're on the cusp we're right there what are we going to do to make sure that this is all set up to go and then after that we're just going to talk about like once we you know once we've hit fi um or basically you know once we're we could draw down and at least be lean fire or whatever what now what do we do so that's kind of the whole sequence here of your next uh stay tuned everybody call this three months of listening experience (laughs) all right well call us at 412-212-8366 leave your questions um we'll answer them in some capacity whether we follow up directly or answer it on the show will be a surprise to you um you can find me at 412 agent all over the internets you can find the show at be free re on anchor uh which will take you to all your different podcast listening sources or you can just find us on your podcast thing youtube um it would be nice if we could get some more subscribes but you have to find me through my personal ones so part of that is our own failure to uh update this shizit the way it should be um and yeah any anything i missed there no you got it buddy stay tuned for the next episode everybody thanks for listening